facade. Uh, thank you. You're able to hear me okay? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Always technological glitches. Um, so before we start, I just really want to invite um, the presence of my higher power into this meeting. And my hope is that, um, you know, I leave my, my pride, <laughs> my ego at the door and that the words I say are useful and beneficial to somebody still suffering. It's always the, the purpose, right, is to be helpful, to be useful. And um, thank you. Um, thank you so much for besides, you know, putting this together. I really appreciate all the hard work that went into this. Um, and before I really delve into the topic, I just, I always want to start off any talk with a quick qualification to sort of... Um, so that someone listening to me speak has the understanding that um, I have the, the required experience to speak about this topic, um, that, I, that I qualify, right? And, and I deserve to have a seat here amongst everybody. Um, so I, um, I am a recovered compulsive overeater and I have suffered tremendously um, because of, you know, because of the disease of compulsive overeating. I was born a compulsive overeater. I'm fairly certain my first words were more. Um, my earliest memories center around food. I really clearly remember being a very young girl, watching my mother cut slices of cake and knowing before mine was even cut that it was not going to be enough. Like, I just remember having that feeling inside, you know, as soon as I saw the cake coming out of the fridge in the bakery box, I knew it wasn't going to be enough. And, um, and so my experience was always going back and getting more um, by myself alone. And I could, at a very young age, I knew which floorboards creaked, right? I knew how to get to it without making a sound. I could get there in the dark without putting a light on. Um, I knew just how far to open the refrigerator door before the light would appear. I could hear the footsteps of people coming so I could quickly stop what I was doing. Um, I knew how to wipe up the crumbs really quickly. Um, and because I knew there was something wrong and shameful about what I was doing. Um, and, um, and that's the way that I lived. And sometimes I had control, right? But those moments were short-lived. And I was always fighting um, morbid obesity. I was always, always fighting um, morbid obesity. And, um, and so maybe, I know, Amy, you have the pictures, right? Do you want to put them up on the screen? And then, you know, for those of you that don't know me, say, um, that was me. I was over 300 pounds. Um, yeah, that's me. Um, there I am again. <laughs> and there I am again. And there I am again with a drink in my hand in the middle of my sisters. Um, and um, yeah. And that's how... Good. Thank you. Good. And that's really how I experienced my life, that I was battling, always, always, always battling. Um, and today when I show those pictures, um, it's really 
I'm, I love seeing my pictures. They remind me exactly what I have, exactly what I am. Um, and all of that can be mine again if I want it, right? Just like that. Um, so then how do I say that I'm recovered, right? How can that two things exist at the same time? And, you know, in that state of um, how I lived before, I had um, I, what I call food senility. So um, I could 100% know beyond a shadow of a doubt that certain foods just triggered a response in me of which I had no ability to dial back in. And I knew that. Like at a very, very young age, I knew it. And yet I would forget it. it. I really had a form of senility. I just would, the food would appear or the thought would come in and it would crowd out all sense of logic and reason. And I could not remember with sufficient force, right? That which I knew 100% I couldn't remember. And, you know, what happened for me was um, I came to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. I learned some of the disease. I learned some of what might help me. I took what I wanted and I left the rest, um, which doesn't work. It, it really doesn't give a, a full, you don't get recovered that way. You might get a little temporary relief, um, but what I needed, I needed to be recovered from and not just temporary relief. Um, and what happened was I eventually came to hear um, other people say that they were recovered. And at once I was both um, angry hearing that I thought how dare they that is completely arrogant um, but I was also incredibly intrigued and I kept listening and it it got my attention and I realized um, I was hearing something miraculous and I wanted that I wanted that more than anything and um, you know so in in the first edition of the big book there's a story I came across and it's called The Lone Endeavor. And, um, and I'm just gonna read you a little paragraph. It, it says, so this mother read the short medical article with a heavy heart for she was constantly on the alert to find something which might prove helpful to her son. The article gave only a vague hint of the solution found by many alcoholics, which is fully covered in this book, but the mother immediately wrote to the doctor explaining her heartbreaking problem and requesting further information, she felt there must be help somewhere. And surely if other men had recovered from alcoholism, her son also had a chance. And so that's what, that's what I heard, like maybe I have a chance, maybe there's a chance for me. And so, you know, first of all, I want to be really clear about this topic and it's in no way to invite controversy. You know, that is not my intention. Um, and I don't really want to debate the verbiage of the question, you know, of the word recover versus recovering. But I do want to say that um, when I say this, it's also not to put me on a spiritual hilltop, right? There's nothing unique um, and better about me than anybody else, like quite the contrary. Um, I wish only to offer hope to the still suffering compulsive overeater. That is the only reason why I want to say the word because that's what it did for me. And so that's why I feel like I need to say it. And much like this mother felt that if others could recover, 
then her son had a chance. That's what I'm hoping. That if you're sitting there wondering and you hear this word being tossed around, that you too will feel that you have a chance, right? Um, and so my only intention, my only intention, and it's the whole purpose of this light a candle event, um, is to offer hope. That's what we said. So with that addressed, right? Here's the question, can you actually recover? And on the title page, right on the title page, like the very, when you open up the text, and this is the text that I refer to, right? This is the title page right here. It says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous, oh, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And in the first edition, it's funny, it says 100. But by the fourth edition, it says many thousands. And that's exciting because that means it was working, right? And so it's actually on the title page of the book. And clearly that's saying just exactly what's going to be covered in the pages. And a title tells the reader what they're reading and it's an advertisement. It's a way of selling the book, right? So, and then in the forward of the first edition, it says we have Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose, right? And, um, and we want everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. So I'm a, I was a very sick person. And besides, we're sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. So now I'm being told what I can actually recover from, right? I can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, right? Seemingly hopeless. And I thought that this food addiction was going to be something that I was going to have to fight for the rest of my life. That's really what I thought. I believe that the best I could hope for was a recovery whereby I would learn some strategies to learn how to deal with the miserable state of abstaining. Right? That's what I really thought, that you were going to teach me how to deny myself the foods that everyone else around me got to eat, and I was hoping that my willpower would grow stronger. That's, that's really what the thought, I, that I was, I was shooting so low, right? Um, and I had no interest or thought that my way of living was even remotely related to this condition. I thought those were two separate things, my way of living, what does that have to do with my way of eating, right? And I didn't understand that I was sick, that my body and my mind were sick. And how could my recovery possibly improve the lives of others? Like that, I didn't understand either. I thought, um, I'm going to get thinner, and I'm going to be happy the end, right? Um, and so it goes on to say that on page 17, that nearly all have recovered, right? All have recovered, they've solved the drink problem. And so this tells me that the majority of the people who followed these directions, and it, the directions that are here, have recovered, right? And I'm being given a little more information about what was solved, it's the drink problem. So if the drink problem is solved, then it doesn't sound anymore like the struggling state of more willpower than I thought, right? That's not solving the problem. Um, and, and 
you know, if I have a problem and I'm told that there's a group of people who once had the same problem and now they don't have the problem anymore, um, certainly my interest should get peaked. Like certainly that should get me like focused in, paying attention. Um, and that's, that's what drew me further into this text because that's what the text said. Right. As opposed to some of the other texts that I love didn't seem to reassure me with quite the same um, guarantee. Right. So and then it says further on on page 29, just a real short part. It says further on clear cut directions are given showing how we've recovered. Right. So now directions. Yay. Now I'm going to get some directions. I'm going to get this text, the big book. It gives me directions, clear-cut ones, right? So I won't be confused. If they're clear and they're, they're concise, I'm not going to be confused by the directions. And, you know, directions, by the way, are not take what you want and leave the rest, right? I thought that that's what it was. Actually, anything I say, because I'm a human being, you can take what you want and leave the rest. But where the directions are concerned, that's not the case, right? If you're following directions, you follow directions. And um, you know, if you want to recover, you have to follow directions sequentially and precisely. You have to go in order and you have to do them thoroughly to the best of your ability. And so, you know, I think like much like if you went to a doctor to receive treatment for something, any disease, and the doctor reassures you that you can recover from this disease, but you're going to have to follow all of the directions you would look around and say, well, what's the success rate here? How successful is this, right? And if there were many thousands that were successful, you would, I would hope, right? Like, okay, so what exactly did they do? And, and if you believed it was effective and what you were suffering from was fatal and progressive, right? Because that's sort of what you have to come to that painful conclusion on your own that this is fatal and it's progressive. Um, and that's done outside the book in a way, that's done every time you suffer a little more. Um, then you're certainly gonna wanna follow the course of treatment, right? If you go to a doctor and you know that what you have is killing you and it's only getting worse, and he says, here's a list of directions, here's a whole group of people who've gotten better following this directions, you know, you're not likely gonna skip it skip some of the things you don't like because you don't um, want it, right? You don't want to follow exactly what they follow say. Exactly. And, um, you know, and so what happens is I found in, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I did this myself, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Um, I took what I wanted and left the rest, and then I made the erroneous conclusion that, um, this is not something you can recover from. No, you can't recover from it. Um, okay, can you hear me now? Okay, so the erroneous conclusion that people make is that if I don't, I don't recover, but I'm not really following all the directions. And you know, um, the problem with our disease is that the sufferer has no enthusiasm for the treatment, right? That's like, that's like the most painful part of all, is that we should be enthusiastic about following a course of treatment, but because I have a form of insanity, a type of senility, 
um, then my insane reasoning wins out. And I insanely conclude, I can't recover from it. Oh, I'll, by the way, I'm not following the directions, right? <laughs> but I can't recover from it. Um, and, you know, here's the good news. Right? This is a difficult problem, but the good news is, um, is that we have a power greater than us that can override right? So God can override that kind of insane reasoning and, um, and, and can reach us nonetheless. So what does it mean to be recovered, right? What does it actually mean? So, okay, so first I'm telling you that you can recover. And next I'm telling you how that you're going to follow directions and which are the steps. And so now let's talk about what does it actually mean to be recovered? That's like the main topic here. Um, what is it like? What does it look like? How is it different from what it was before? Um, you know, if you remember, I was telling you in my story that I had a form of food senility, right? And that I had a mind that always convinced me to eat. Well, I failed to remember, right? When I had that state, I failed to remember just how bad it is. And what it is, is I can't remember with sufficient force. And what I say is this disease is like a stalker, right? It, it stalks me um, and it hunts me down and it would always get me to open up the door, right? And every single time, that's how I live. It just got in the door. And I really wanted to be abstinent. It was not that I wasn't interested. You know, it was like, oh, she doesn't want it bad enough. That, not true. I did want it. I wanted it very, very much. Um, and, but this desire was so overwhelming and powerful. And I felt like when I was abstinent only and not recovered, um, I felt like, like the disease was this powerful tiger, right? And, and what I needed was a really strong cage. And you guys and compulsive overeaters and Overeaters Anonymous were going to teach me how to build a really strong cage. And so this tiger would be in this strong cage and the tiger was constantly getting aggravated by everything in the world. It felt like, um, like my, the bars were being rattled. Right? Like they were constantly being rattled by everybody, by my husband, by my son, by my mother-in-law, by you, by, you know, everything, the weather, everything was rattling my cage. And, and it felt like I was getting poked through the bars, right? And eventually what would happen is this thing would bust out of this cage and, and every time. And so what does it mean to be recovered? Um, I don't have a tiger anymore. It's a kitten. How's that? The tiger has been transformed. It's not the same thing. My bars don't get rattled. I'm not disturbed the same way I am anymore. You know, and, and the desire is quiet. It's, um, you know, I heard in Overeaters Anonymous, um, sadly, that I had to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day and get it back in safely. Um, and that's not true. That's a, that's hell. That is, of course we can't have 
recovered. How could you recover if you're constantly battling with a tiger? That's impossible. Really what I needed was the tiger to be, to be transformed into a kitten. And that's what, that's what happened to me, you know, and, um, and that's what it means to be recovered. But it's one aspect of this incredible gift, right? So most of us in OA are familiar with the ninth step promises and it's likely the 10 step promises also. And recovered means that you're experiencing these promises. That's what it means to be recovered. So, okay, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. This is on page 83 to 84. It's the ninth step promises. We're gonna know a new freedom and a new happiness. We're not going to re regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, right? So today I do, I feel free. I'm free from the food, I'm free from anger and sadness, I'm optimistic. I have this basic belief that God has a plan and it's a good one, right? Um, I don't regret my past at all, right? I'm not ashamed of anything I've done. I really understand what it means to be serene and feel peaceful. All of my experiences, especially the painful and humiliating ones, are now powerful examples that I can share, right? Um, to help someone else. And I use these stories when I work with sponsees. I use these short stories when I share with people. Um, and I'll talk about that I broke every toilet seat. My husband was like on a quest to find a toilet seat that I wouldn't break. That it seemed like weekend after weekend, he was reinstalling toilet seats. Um, and that I couldn't fit in the armchairs in my own kitchen, that I had chairs in the kitchen that I bought and I couldn't fit in them. And, you know, I, I share that I felt humiliated every time I went on a plane and I would walk down the aisle and I would see people cringe, hoping that I didn't have the seat next to them. And, um, and that kind of pain is horrific because, um, you know, I knew my large body invaded their space. And that was a pain that cut me so deep to be unwanted to that, to that degree and to, to believe that I deserved that, to believe that, that that's what you get, you know? Um, and today, I don't feel any shame. I don't feel, I feel like that's my golden ticket. Those experiences make me uniquely useful. Those are the things that I can help people. And, you know, in the family afterwards on page 124, it's like one of my favorites. It says, cling to the thought 
that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death or misery for them. Right? So I don't feel useless spending day after day on the couch or sitting on the sidelines, watching other people live, feeling sorry for myself. Like, I'm an active participant in life. I, I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of fitting in or being disliked or being left out. And not that that never happens to me anymore, because guess what it does? Just because you recover doesn't mean everybody likes you and wants to include you in their circle. But um, I don't fear it. I, I don't fear it. Um, and in the moments where my feelings are hurt, like I lean into this incredibly loving creator who is there in those unsettling moments and gives me strength and comfort. Um, you know, for me, um, I, my higher power is my bestie. It's my best friend. My, my best friend always wants me with him. My best friend always wants me beside. So it's okay if other people don't. Um, and I'm not consumed by thoughts of me and getting my needs met. Like, I'm pretty sure that my needs are going to get met. I trust that I'm going to get just what I need to survive. And I actually genuinely find myself thinking more and more about others, right? Um, and rather than being self-centered, I do feel other-centered. I feel um, I have a much keener intuition. That's what we're promised to, that we have this intuitive sense. I do I have a keener intuition. I understand things without the need for conscious reasoning. Like, I don't have to reason things out. I sometimes just get this gut feeling and I can trust it. I know that it's a reliable feeling. Um, and if it sounds crazy and insane when I get this gut feeling, I also know that I have a fellowship that I can run it by. I've got some trusted people that I can say, is this me? Am I just having an insane thought? Or, you know, does this sound right? Um, and, you know, so situations that used to find me spinning my wheels and second guessing myself, um, I just somehow know how to approach those things. And I know that all of this is coming right from God, it is not coming from me. This is coming from something bigger than me. So I'm no longer relying on my own human finite power, right? Because I know it's coming from something bigger. Um, and then the steps, the, the promises of step, seven, of step 10, and that starts on 84 and goes to 85. We've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition, right? So, and then further down on the page, it says, 
if we've carefully followed directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. So now looking at this, it, this spells out that I don't fight. Nothing. I don't fight. I'm not a fighter. That's not what I do anymore. Um, I don't fight my weight, right? I don't fight a food plan. I don't fight suggestions that my sponsor makes. My sponsor sometimes says, you're the most agreeable person I've ever met. Anything I say, you just like do it. And I think, yeah, I'm not fighting. Why would I fight a person that I asked to help me, right? Um, I don't fight with my employer. I don't fight with my family, my fellows, my sponsees, and I certainly don't fight with food. Right? And what a blessed miracle to be not fighting this desire at all. Right? I feel sane today. I'm not interested in food that once was problematic for me. It doesn't look appealing or enticing. Um, in all honesty, I don't think, you know, the fried foods, the sugary items, the heavily processed, the artificially sweetened things that once owned me, like I said, they, they held the mortgage to my soul right? Those things don't even look tempting anymore. Um, I used to love anything deep fried. Like we would make a joke that you could put anything in the fryer and I would eat it. Um, and today when my husband wants to use the deep fryer, he actually knows that he has to plug it in outside. I'm sorry. Like I just, I can't stand the smell of it. It, you know, it, it nauseates me and that's God changing my taste. Like God did for me that which I could never do for myself. And, you know, when I say that I love fresh raw veggies, um, I'm not lying and I'm not trying to fool myself. I'm not saying it to like try to trick myself. It, it's the truth. And my kids always laugh and they kind of roll their eyes at me because I go on and on about like, look at the beautiful rainbow that I get to eat. God made me a rainbow to eat today, you know, when I lay all my vegetables out and they think their mother's lost their mind, but um, that's okay, you know. Um, when I'm tempted, you know, and for me, the temptation is more like subtle it, because this disease is cunning, right? And it's, 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 it is cunning. And so the cunning temptation today for me is more has to do with, this, with weighing things on the scale, that um, measuring an item and not popping it in my mouth as I'm putting it on the scale, right? Um, or not wanting to measure something. Those are the things that sometimes I have to recoil from. And when I'm tempted, now I can recoil. You know, I can react and respond appropriately. I find for me, one of the most humbling acts I do in the morning is I, I measure out, I always eat blueberries in the morning. I like blueberries and I always wind up going like I measure them in grams. I always wind up going one gram over when I put it on the scale and I have to humbly remove one blueberry. Like talk about a level of surrender and humility. Um, and for me, it's symbolic. It's a demonstration of the acceptance of, of my disease. And I often delight today in that surrender because it symbolizes the humility that I need to face the day. For if I don't even know how many blueberries to eat, you know, then um, 
what makes me think I know about anything else in the world, right? And, and I better be open to, to, to like having humility in everything else in my life, right? So the food senility that I explained earlier that I suffered from has been healed. I feel sane and normal around food, which seems like a contradiction for someone who has to like weigh out your blueberries and really take off one, one blueberry. That's not normal. Um, you know, and like yesterday I went to visit my family um, and I packed my cooler for the day and I measured everything out. And, you know, um, and my, my husband's cousins, they might look at this and see that as insanity and abnormal. And that's okay because I'm not fighting other people, right? Especially where my food's concerned. Um, but I can tell all of you here today that this level of care and protection is not insane. It's the most sane act someone with a deadly allergy can do, right? To, to treat their allergy with respect. And, you know, and so I do this with, you know, um, today with no resistance. You know, I don't resist brushing my teeth in the morning, right? I don't resist, like, I wear a bra, right? I don't resist just putting my bra on in the morning. It's just part of what I do. That's sort of how it is with me and the food. It's just, it's just what I do. And it comes with little thought and it's automatic. And when I'm in places where people are enjoying food, I can be there. I can be happily present and focused on people. I'm not feeling tempted at all. I feel safe and I feel neutral. You know, those things don't evoke any emotional response. I don't have to avoid parties. I don't have to avoid celebrations. I'm not nervous when I'm alone in the house with food. You know, even when there's like, things that I once, you know, couldn't get enough of, my family could leave me alone with everything and it'll be here. I don't even see it. It's, it's quiet. It's invisible. Um, you know, but I'm not cocky. Right. Um, and so I can, I can frost a cake and I can scoop out ice cream for my family, but I don't seek out these opportunities to prove anything. Like I'm not like, yay, let me do those things. But if I had to, I could. You know, and the 10th step um, promises also make it abundantly clear that if I want to have this, then I need to remain spiritually fit, which is a whole other beautiful topic <laughs> that I love to talk about. And if anybody has questions about remaining spiritually fit, those are questions I'd love to discuss, whether on here or privately off. And, you know, and so today I feel this awareness of God in my life. And I feel the flow of his spirit into me, which is exactly what I needed all along, right? I needed a closer connection with power. My problem was powerlessness. And so I need this close connection with powerlessness. And so just on one last little note, I want to, because I know I've gone way over time, I always do, is that in the family afterward, we're told on page 132, so we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past, but why shouldn't we laugh? We have, been re we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. So, you know, people say to me all the time, gosh, you always smile, are you always that happy? 
yes, yes, I really, I really am. It's not fake. I used to have a fake smile. Today, like, my smile is pretty genuine. I, when I'm unhappy, it's short-lived because, um, you know, I've been given freedom and I've been given um, a beautiful opportunity to, to be useful and to help other people. And um, with that, I am going to pass. I hope that there was something helpful that I had to offer. And um, thanks. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you, thank you. That was a beautiful presentation. Um, everybody, please note this meeting is being recorded. And by speaking during this meeting, you're giving permission to have your voice on this recording. There is no sharing at this meeting. Instead, we ask questions of the speaker. Also, please remember that the opinions of the speaker are their own and do not reflect OA as a whole. The meeting is now open for questions. To do so, you may raise your hand, or if you do not wish to have your voice recorded, you may ask a question in chat and it will be read by a moderator. You're now open for questions. Hi, I'm Amy. Very, very grateful, compulsive overeater. Melissa, thank you so much for the service of doing this today. And I'm going to jump right in with my question because I've had one queued up and ready since you announced this topic. And I listened to you talk today and it helped. It really did. And yet I still have questions. Here we go. The nine step promises, the 10 step promises. I'm looking through them. I'm looking exactly how they're written. Then I'm going back for a second to the, the spot in, um, I think it's in how it works. Yes, on page 60, where it says, not one among us have been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're willing to grow along spiritual lines. We claim spiritual progress rather than perfection. And I skipped a couple of words. But um, my question is, is what if I feel like I have most of the promises all of the time and a couple of the promises most of the time, and I'm working on getting better, am I not yet recovered? Oh, that's so good. I, you know, I think that's a very personal um, feeling inside. I have to say for myself, um, I knew, I got, I got this feeling inside that I was recovered. Now, I don't adhere to these principles perfectly, obviously not, right? Um, and I love, you know, spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. That doesn't mean food progress. That doesn't mean abstinence progress. I just wanna clarify, because sometimes there's a confusion in that, right? Abstinence is entire abstinence working of the steps, right? So yeah, it's spiritual progress. So yeah, do I sometimes get cocky? Yeah. Do I sometimes get um, full of fear? Yes. But I have, I have a set of directions. And I would say recovered for me means my bounce back is quicker. I don't stay in that sick state nearly as long as I used to. I used to sometimes, you know, I remember like having a, an issue with a boss, right, or a coworker, and it was days and days of sleepless nights, and and I it was like I couldn't get out of my head, and I rehashed it, and I re-experienced it, and that rehashing re-experienced always wound up with me getting ice cream, right? 
I don't, I don't have that. I might go around a couple of times and then I have a skill set that I do. I do the 10th step. It sets me back. I always see that there was something, some huge lesson that came out of my discomfort. That's what I found out that growth is actually a painful experience because it means that I've outgrown something, right? And so that sort of, and that signals me to do some more spiritual work and, my, and I bounce back, right? Thanks. That was great. That was a great answer. Thank you. Beverly, I see you have your hand raised. Oh, okay. My my question is, Melissa, do you sometimes find you do a um, ten steps on on a subject more than once? Um, if you have an issue that seems like, like you say, you you go you might go around. Do you find that you had that that has happened to get your peace back or your you know just your serenity back? Okay, so I used to I used to do that with problems, right? I would like redo it, and and I think I used to say I'm venting. I'm venting. I need to vent. And if you think about venting, what venting does is it actually makes the flame bigger. It brings more oxygen into the fire. You open the vent, and you get a bigger, more powerful flame. And so, no, I don't today. I don't redo a tenth step. If I don't feel like I got to the answer, I actually, I don't retell it with another human. I actually take it further into prayer. I really pray, because sometimes, first of all, a 10 step does not mean that I am relieved from the human experience of feeling, right? I'm still going to feel uncomfortable sometimes. I don't think it's like, the, the instant like antiseptic, you do a 10 step and now you're numb, now you don't feel it anymore. Um, I still sometimes have to feel it, um, and, but I have tolerance for my discomfort. I can actually tolerate my own discomfort. If I'm still feeling a certain way about a 10 step, I pray harder and I help more people. How's that? Because I have to get out of uh, my, my, selfishness is the root of my problem. And so the cure for selfishness is other-centered, is to think about other people. So if I'm still upset over an issue, I just like, yeah, I'll be on a mission then to help more people. I'll just, yeah. Thank you. Um, Jackie M, would you like to unmute and share? Uh, ask your question. Hi, Melissa. Jackie Compulsive over here. It was awesome. I love listening to your story. And my, I think I have two questions. Do you still make your three phone calls a day? And how long did it take you till you felt like you were recovered? Okay, so I'm going to answer the, the three phone calls a day, right? Because I had a sponsor ask me recently, um, well, how long do I have to keep making these three phone calls a day? And I answered, oh, um, 
until you want to make those three phone calls a day until you like until you can't wait to make those three phone calls a day because um we are actually told that we're going to get the fellowship we crave so what i found is that i crave i crave this contact like you know i used to crave something sweet after dinner and now i crave contact with my fellows instead. So I absolutely, I make more than three phone calls a day. I, I, I speak to many, many fellows a day. And what was this? I forgot this, the other question. How long did it take for you to lose all of your weight? Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good question. So a long, I have to tell you a long, a, a long time. <laughs> I started on, well, first of all, I was over 300 pounds. It was, um, my son was, a, he was about two at the time and he's 13, right? So, and it happened in chunks. It happened over time. Um, I, at one point I had to put the scale away completely because, and I heard someone say something brilliant today. The scale became my report card. Uh, Harlan said that today, and I was like, wow, that was exactly it. That was how I assessed whether I was doing good or doing bad. And um, so I, I would suggest, like, if you're worried about how long it's going to take you to lose the weight, um, I always tell sponsees, I hope, I hope, I hope you recover way before you lose your weight. How's that? That you get relief from this obsession um, before you lose your weight. So it did, it took me a while. I've lost 160 pounds, um, about, I maybe a little bit more. It, um, and, and I really, I rarely go on the scale today, rarely. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how long it took me. It did not disappear overnight because this is not a diet, by the way. The way I eat today, I, there's no, by the way, I, there's no like maintenance that I went on and then I got back extra food. That's not what abstinence is. I got a food plan that works perfectly for my body. And as I lost weight, um, I actually had to give up more food because what you need to maintain at a hundred, you know, at 160 pounds less is less food than what you had to lose at over 300 pounds. That's just the sad truth to it. So I would say lose the diet mentality. Don't worry about losing weight. When you, when you lost the weight, and I, I'm struggling with where, what you just said. Okay. Because um, especially when I work out, I, I can't seem to get out of that diet mentality that, oh, I can eat more since I worked out. I rode this much, so now I can't. And if I lose the weight, that means I eat less. So how did you get out of that thought process? So, you know, when I, I found out weight is, weight is a symptom of the actual disease that I was suffering with. Weight was not my problem. It was a symptom of my True. problem. So it's like if I had a cold, right? But it really wasn't a cold. It was like something far more serious, like strep throat or something or pneumonia and I just take throat lozenges, well, yeah, maybe my throat's gonna feel a little bit better for a minute, but that's not treating the underlying problem. So I would really, um, you know, first of all, I exercise today, not for weight loss, not for anything to me. Honestly, when I exercise today, it's to thank God for the incredible gift that he gave me of a body that took horrific abuse 
And now I want this body to be strong enough to be useful. That's really it. Um, and, and so you've got to change your mindset. That, that's what I would suggest. I don't exercise so that I can eat more. One thing has nothing to do with the other. Thank you, Jackie. We have a uh, question here in comments uh, from Rhonda. Do you use, Melissa, do you use any OA literature when you work with sponsees? Yes, I do. Um, I do, I use, well, I use three basic texts, right? I use the big book, obviously. That's my, that's the real heart of my, the text that I use. I use the AA 12 and 12. And I also use the OA 12 and 12. Um, I think the OA 12, the OA 12 and 12 speaks specifically about how our disease manifests itself in eating. Um, and, and yet there are other, there are aspects of the OA 12 and 12 that I don't find as helpful, right? So I don't focus in on as much on those aspects, but I, but I do, I like, I like um, certain parts of the OA 12 and 12. Thank and, you. And, and any of the meditation stuff too, but I don't use that formally with sponsees, but I'm open to, to you know, sharing um, readings from any of the meditations. Thank you. Veronica B., would you like to unmute and ask your question? Oh, hi. Thank you so much, Veronica, compulsive overeater and bulimic. And uh, just what a great share, Melissa. Thank you. And um, I just love your recovery and, and the message that you shared today. My, my question is, I'm on step uh, three. And... Um, I, I'm working the steps out of the big book. I'm super excited. Can't wait. Can't wait. Um, your experience, uh, I don't get, I, I'm not doing 10 steps because I'm not there. Even though I've, I've been um, in programs since 09, I was, I've been absent since bulimia from purging, but you know, I was still using alcoholic food. So now today I'm not, I'm abstaining from, it's very clear for me what my my abstinence, uh, my food plan is today. And so I'm not in the food and I have so many, so many emotions. I think I cry like almost every day. How, um, for you, before you were doing 10 steps, how like do you process like when, like if your husband's not doing what you want him to do or when like your children are maybe giving you a hard time? Like how, how do you, how have you like, brought your recovery into those kind of situations before doing 10 steps? Cause I'm not I doing it. 10 steps. Yep, I got it. Thank so you. yeah, that's a good, that's a good question because, um, so basically right now, the state that you're in, you are, you are using willpower. It is willpower. You know, even though our willpower is not sufficient, um, some of what you need to call on is some willpower with a lot of prayer. So there's a lot of, you've got you've to be turning this over to God, right? Um, and that's what step three is all about. And, and so especially like before you get to step 10 and really step four, because step four, you're going you're gonna to find out what your part in, is, you know, what your part is in all of this. And so step three is um, turning it all over to God and, and coming to this understanding that um, you have to accept other people exactly as they are. And I, you know, I also say um, that there's a part in the doctor's opinion that talks about the definite hospitalization period. 
that sometimes a definite hospitalization period is required for people. And people often think, well, that must mean like rehab or that must be, mean like a treatment facility. But it's also a state of mind for those of us who don't go into treatment facilities. And it means that while I'm in the hospital, the only job I have is to focus on my recovery. That is it. I, so if my husband is doing something to upset me, yep, you're going to have to make a decision that temporarily, unless your life is in jeopardy, unless like your house is going to burn up in flames if you don't address this issue, right? And someone's going to die, leave it, leave it alone. Leave it alone. I, you know, I tell people, put it aside, focus on you focus on you. You're in the hospital. You're in rehab right now. And if you were in rehab, you wouldn't be busy telling your husband how to do things or telling your kids how to do things. Um, and if that fails, right? If that fails, I often remind myself, what do I know about anything? I don't even know how much food to eat, right? What makes me think I have any right to tell another human being um, or to get twisted about anyone else's decisions when I don't even know how much food to put in my body, right? Um, I hope that helps you. Thank you, Veronica, for the question. Uh, Katie, your hand was up. I don't see it now. You still here? My, hi. Um, hi. My question was somewhat answered by Veronica's question, uh, the, the answer, but I'll, I'll sort of I'll see what we can do. Melissa, first of all, I just want to say a huge thank you and tell you that you are the first person I ever heard say they were recovered. And it inspired me. And now being somebody that is recovered, it's just a miracle. And I'm incredibly yeah, grateful, um, incredibly grateful that I heard that I heard you say it. <laughs> and I, it sticks in my mind. And now as I trudge this road and I meet many more recovered people, it's just I see the program is not exclusive. It's, it's open for everybody. So I just wanted to put that out there. But I did have a question um, similar to Veronica's. Um, if you're... Uh, if you're a beginner or if you're working with a beginner, um, I guess advice for, and I know it's not my job as a sponsor to keep somebody abstinent, but advice to, to help somebody um, keep their abstinence before recovery or to help not feel frustrated if they're not achieving recovery yet. I guess that'd be my question. Yeah. Yeah. So we're told, you know, in, in the chapter working with others, we're told intensive work right? That that's what's required for you. you. You have to work intensively, Katie, right? Just like me, we have to work intensively. And, um, and um, it is intensive work. And I, I, I like urge people that I'm working with, sponsors that I'm working with, to do everything they can to, to maintain their abstinence, everything they can. And so um, one of the things that I do, because willingness is indispensable, we're told willingness. So I help the person, we, we create a willingness list together. Um, and it's really their list um, of all the things that they are willing to do before picking up the food. Right. And some of them are ridiculous and mundane and some of them are really spiritual. Right. Some of them are truly spiritual and some of them are just human power. Some of them are stupid, like brush your teeth. Right. And some of them. But whatever it is, it's a huge long list of willingness. And, and a suggestion that I make um, to people is now take your willingness list and put it everywhere, everywhere where the food is. Tape it 
to the refrigerator, tape it to the cereal box if cereal's your thing, tape it, you know, everywhere. Um, I've suggested to someone make it, you know, on your phone. If you're like someone that orders food to be delivered and, and that whole thing, make it your home screen, right? Tape it to the dashboard of your car, put it everywhere and use your willingness list. Now, um, you know, we're told that we're powerless, right? But we're not helpless. We can be helped. And that's our job as sponsors too, as sponsors. So if I'm working with someone, I, I say to them, call me, call me. You're not going to bother me. So if I can't answer it, if I'm in the middle of doing something, because I'm human and I've got a family, sometimes the, just the act alone of them picking up the phone and calling is enough to break, to break it. And Janet told me, my good friend Janet mentioned something recently and I thought it was great. She said um, that, I don't know where she heard this, but even blinking, like a, like a blink, like five times could be like on that list because there's something in the brain that might like change a thought. The person has to be willing to do all sorts of ridiculous things. And we have to be willing to help them, right, in their, in their ridiculous pursuits. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope that helps. Would anyone else like to ask a question of Melissa? Can I ask another one? Melissa, my question is about um, when you become, when you're new to OA, when you first come and you go on meetings, do you encourage your sponsees to share or wait until they get to a certain step? Um, I know I think you should start sharing right away. I think you should start sharing right away. I don't think, um, yeah, we're told that there's no, I mean, unless of course you're at a meeting that has an abstinence requirement. You know, I don't think, I don't think that um, you should be the speaker per se, right? You shouldn't necessarily be, be the one like doing the whole talk, but to share your personal experience of what's happening, absolutely. And I you know, yeah, and I actually will text, what? Can I add something to that, a yes. little more clarity? I mean, like, um, when you go to the meetings, you, you knew, I mean, like, you really don't have any experience, strength, and hope, because you, you just getting there, you knew. So you don't know what to say. Help me. Okay, okay, got you. Help me, I'm new. My, you know, I'm here at a, at a meeting of, of over, and actually, you know, um, I like urge, if you're my sponsee, I'll send you texts in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> you should share what happened to you. Because, you know, um, we're, we all have hope to offer. I, I see miracles happening, you know, so soon when someone is willing that, you know, God's got amazing, miraculous powers, right? That really, I know you know that. And when we, especially in step two, when we humbly ask for help, just, you know, for those of you who haven't really humbly asked for help, try it, try it. And, and you'll be amazed, the miraculous things start happening. And I tell sponsees, share that, share that, share that. Um, yeah. 
hope that helps. Hey, Melissa, it's Mia. Can you hear me? I hear you. Okay. Um, I was at a meeting with you, I don't know, about a week and a half ago, and you said something that I've been meaning to ask you about. And at least this is what I think I heard. It was about um, how it, you take somebody through the steps and it took like 12 weeks. Does that mean you do like one step a week? Is that what you do? Did I hear that right? Could be. It could be, you know, it really, it depends. Some people, listen, some people would be like, it takes you 12 weeks, that's crazy, that's way too long. I mean, some okay. people do it like super fast. Um, that seems to be a good, for me and the person, it seems to be a, a, a decent clip. Um, but it's always um, the other person, like I work with them, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll take them through it but they're moving through it. They're doing the work. Okay, they're doing the work, yeah. Yeah, okay. but 12 weeks should be, should be, should be recovered. <laughs> that was the next question. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I just wanna say, if anybody was like sending me a private chat, I am, I, it's not so easy for me to multitask. So I apologize if I'm not responding in any way. You're free to send me a private text later on my own phone. It's like, it's hard for me to go back and forth. I lose my train of thought if I'm checking a private chat here. So thanks. Um, I see Louisa has her hand up. Louisa, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Louise. I'm a compulsive overeater and um, a food addict. Uh, thank you, Melissa, for, uh, for your commitment and uh, your, um, just your love for, for helping others. Um, I have this question about abstinence. Um, does abstinence uh, include also food behaviors or just the food? Yeah, well... Um, it, I, I would say food behaviors. I mean, especially, I'm not, I'm not a bulimic and I'm not an anorexic, right? Um, but certainly, if you're bulimic or anorexic, it's more, it, you, certainly it's behaviors, right? And for me as well, there were certain things that I needed to, um, behavior that I need to abstain from completely. You know, um, I abstain from, from eating as a recreation as a recreational activity, meaning I don't eat in front of the TV. For me, that is not abstinent behavior. For me, I don't eat, I don't eat, um, you know, I eat at the kitchen table. <laughs> That's where I eat. I eat in a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for me also, you know, anything I eat um, that's not, because I have to, um, I, I, I commit my food for the day. And for me, a non-abstinent um, behavior would be um, making changes without reporting it to someone. For me, that's a non-abstinent behavior because it um, always leads me to, um, to doing things that I shouldn't do with food, right? And also um, eating outside of, outside of meals in general. You know, like if I, anything I eat after dinner would never be abstinent anymore. Dinner is done. Um, yeah. 
Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Um, there's a question about you sharing your phone number. I don't know since this is a recording, Melissa, if you want to type it into text. I will. People. I will put it in the chat. I yeah, that's what I it. meant. Okay. Does anybody else want to ask any questions? Lawrence, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Thank you. Yes, thank you. My name is Laurence and I'm a food addict and a binger restrictor. Thank you so much, Melissa, for this um, amazing sharing and, and it's very inspiring. I have a question that uh, is bugging me. You said something about to remain spiritually fit and I understand that it was a direct quote from the, the, the big book. Uh, could you please say what, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to remain spiritually fit? Or what do I do to remain spiritually fit? What, what would that mean? Well, it means to be, to be spiritually fit means that um, I'm living in, in that kind of recovered state where, um, where the food is quiet, where I'm not fighting anything or anybody where I feel that intuitive sense. Um, and in order to have that, um, it means that I really live in the steps. It means that I, um, for my own spiritual fitness, first is dependent on um, my relationship with my creator, is that I must, I, you know, I'm very serious about my prayer and, dis and my meditation. It is like, um, you know, it's um, a very important part of my day. I don't, I don't, I don't skip that. That's, that would mean that I think I have the power and I don't have the power. The power comes from a source greater than me. Um, but if I seek, you know, God's direction and I pray and I get quiet um, and try to live in agreement with his will for me, um, then, I, then I remain in fit spiritual condition. Um, and I, and then, and then I help others. That's really spiritual fitness is, is really achieved through self-sacrifice and working with others. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the answer. Welcome. Thank you for the question, Laurence. Jackie B, would you like to unmute and ask your question? Thank you. Yes. I'm Jackie B from the Bronx. Thank you, Melissa, Happy. so much. Love your hair. Thank you, um, Jackie. <laughs> and uh, my question is about the 10 step. When, when we become, you know, irritated by something or be an overabundance of emotions, do you also rely only or solely on finding another person to go through the 10 step? Or do you also send writing 10 steps as well? That's my question. Okay. So, um, you know, it's funny, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, different ways that people do 10 steps. And, um, and sometimes people get tripped up on procedural, right? Like they'll get a 10 step from someone, someone will call them and say, 
can I do a 10 step with you? And then they look at it and they're like, oh, wait, I don't do it like that. And now I, I, am I wrong? Am I, have I been doing it wrong all this time? And, and they get like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be putting it in writing or do I, you know, what do I do? And ultimately, you know, our purpose is more important than the procedure, right? So the purpose is to get reconnected with God, right? So it depends, it's a long way that I'm answering your question. It depends on, on how, I, how I need to get connected in the moment, right? If I'm in the middle of teaching, right? I'm in the middle of my work day in my classroom and, and a student does something that like, woo, I'm like gonna like lose it, right? And I know I have to like, like make some contact with God. I don't have time. I teach 28 second graders. I don't have time to whip out my pen and my paper and start writing it down and identifying my dishonesty, my selfishness, my, in that moment, I got, I better have a quick, a quick go-to with God. And, you know, so in those moments, like I have a rocking chair in my classroom and <laughs> kids one year who said, why do you close your eyes when you sit in your rocking chair like that? And I'm like, I'm praying. Like I would get in the rocking chair really quick and I would have to go, oh God, help me, you know? Um, and, but, but other times, like if I'm home and I'm in a different state and it's something that might require, I will put it pen to paper. I do like the app. I like the, um, there's an app that people use, you know, my OA toolkit, um, I really like that, and I'll I'll do you know do a quick text of it. I'll do it in an app, and then I have a, I have like a few people um, that I that I will bring it to. I really have just like a, a handful of people because it's um I want I I don't want to take it to the um to the general public. I don't think I know some people do like 10 step trains and that's fine if that works for other people. That's awesome. It doesn't work for me. I feel too. Um, I felt too dishonest. How's that? When I did it in that format, I felt like I was, uh, I wanted to show off how recovered I was. How crazy is that? Right? Like I want to, I want to look soup. I want to look okay. And then that's certainly not the purpose. So I need to take it to someone that I have zero issue being humble with. Um, but ultimately it's to take it to God. So I do a little bit of both Jackie. Um, um, yeah, but I always do the 11 step review in writing. That's always, um, you know, done full in writing. Thank you very much. That's ditto, ditto, ditto. Okay. Thank you for the question, Jackie. Laurel, I see your hand is raised. Would you please like to unmute and ask your question? Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for your share today. Hi. Um, you kind of answered it. I was going to ask, like, I know prayer and meditations important in the morning and um i was just wondering as a recovered woman how do you know when to meditate during the day and you did kind of answer it with the rocking chair um about praying but how do you know when you need to meditate during the day so um yeah so when do i need to like call upon god right like when yeah. am i yeah so i generally right like if I'm having a hard time feeling loving and tolerant, that's a pretty good indicator, right? That I better seek some spiritual help there. And, um, you know, and so, um, 
it's funny because then that means that the people that really and the situations that really piss me off actually bring me closer to God. How's that? Yeah. Because I get, I have to, I better call on that power, you know, if I'm not feeling loving and tolerant. Um, yeah. So I think anytime you don't feel that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the question, Laurel. Lori J, do you have a question you'd like to ask of Melissa? I do, I do. Thank you, Melissa. Um, and I know there is no right answer to this question because everybody's different, but I am curious. Um, you know, I'm actually, because I'm doing the personal stories with Asfansi and we were reading, you know, um, where it said, you know, you, if you went at, about your recovery with half the zeal that you went about drinking, you know, and, right. and that's kind of my formula for how much time I spend on my program a day. And I was curious for you, roughly how much time a day uh, in your, of your day is spent on your program. Responses, your program, reading yourself, whatever it is, uh, roughly how much time a day is it? Wow, a lot. I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't even know how to, you know what, Lori? I'll tell you what it is. Um, my program has ceased to be my program and my life. They're this, right? So my program really is my life. It really has. It's been, it's, 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 it's meshed in. Um, I am, um, I know that there's anonymity, right? I'm not anonymous in my family. They know exactly what it is I do. Um, I think that, you know, um, I want to live this, this recovery. And I do, you know, so as, I work a lot with sponsees. I, I work very, if I'm working with someone, um, I really try to give them a lot of my time um, as best I can, right? Um, it's, uh, I don't even know that I could put it, uh, to be honest, I don't even know how much. But yeah, listen, I did anything to get to the food. It never... And never, nothing ever stopped me from getting to the food. I would go out in the middle of the night, right? I would, I would go to, um, in, you know, horrible weather. I would, um, you know, push my family aside. I certainly didn't sleep nights eating, right? I was up and down and up and down the stairs all night long. Um, so certainly my recovery um, should get some of that same energy. I love that, yeah. I'm gonna jump in with another one if I could, Melissa. It's Amy uh -huh. again, still compulsive. I'm actually gonna ask you this question as Amy, the day she walked in the door of OA. Um, Hi, I'm Amy. I just walked in. The big book is anachronistic. It's old-fashioned. It's written by a man that I have nothing in common with. I see sexist stuff in it. It bothers me. How do I get over that? That's my past me, asking you for the right way to answer that question. And so I would say, have you ever really read it? How much time did you spend reading it? Or did you make that conclusion? Um, you know, and have you read it with anybody? Because I'll tell you, I had that same thought, right? And it's always mind-blowing when I read We Agnostics with someone and they're like, oh my God, that sounds so new age, hippie, crunchy. It is. I mean, it's not. So it, it blows my mind that, you know, the word for God 
in, in this book, Spirit of the Universe, Sunlight of the Spirit, you know, um, uh, Infinite Love, right? I mean, what? How is that? You know, and so I had those same thoughts. That is, and I'll tell you, one of my favorite, favorite things is in the spiritual experience. Um, and this is really what I would probably turn you to, Amy. I would say, hey, Amy, let's turn to the, the spiritual experience um, and say that on page 568, right, most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. So this is gonna be a spiritual concept I want your mind open to. And he can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. So are you being intolerant to this book? And are you being belligerently denying that it might have something helpful in here. And then it says, we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. So you're gonna have to have an open mind, willing and honest. And I would probably say, oh, I'm so glad you were honest with me. That's awesome. You're on your way. Honesty is important. Now let's open your mind and let's be willing to assume that you probably don't know everything about recovery, right? And then, uh, then there's a principle, which is a bar, right? A bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance that principle is contempt prior to investigation. So I would say to you, you probably, I would love for you to put your contempt aside and let's investigate, right? Go through it. And if you still feel the same way, super, right? Right. What's that they say? We'll guarantee, we'll give you your misery back. You can have it all. Um, yeah. That was great. Thank you. Thank I you so much. It. We have one final question, I believe, here, and it's from Rhonda. And how often, Melissa, do you how often do you speak with sponsees? Okay, so that it depends on where they are in the steps. Um, in the beginning, especially since I talked about that hospitalization period, um, people need help. They really need a lot of help. In the beginning, it's every day, um, and sometimes it's more than once a day. How's that? Um, especially if they're like got a question or they're like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I want to eat this or I, I, my lunch is going to be late. What do you think I should do? Like, I don't want them to think that um, they're out there on their own, that I'm unavailable. But usually by the time they get to step four, step five, it, they begin, first of all, they're calling at least three other fellows a day. And that will continue whether they speak to me or not. So I know that they're not like out there, you know, flying without a connection. Um, and, um, but usually by that point, I usually start a new person on that's like step one again. And so I need to have that sort of freed up time. And they're ready to have a little, cause it's not a connection 
you know, as much as I love, like, I love like the friendships I make in, in this program. It's, it's incredible. I've had like the best sponsees ever. Um, and that we're friends. I love them and, and we want to talk to each other. Um, but <clears throat> they're not looking for a connection with Melissa. They're looking for a connection with a higher power. So hopefully by after step three, starting in step four, they're beginning to get that some of that connection and because they've turned their will and their life over to this care. And so then it might not be every day, but it might be, it might be for, for a bit and then it drops every few days. And when they recover, it's sort of like a depends on the person basis, what we, what we kind of work out together. So that helps. I think we might have time for one more share. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, okay, is the final call for one more, I mean, one more question, sorry, not share. Have it. Call for one last question for Melissa C. Before we close this out. Go ahead, Veronica. Oh, hi, just one more question. Actually, I have many, but that's okay. Um, your experience with having like a character defect that just won't go away, what was the process for you to to get uh, in touch with that character defect? So I love that. That's, um, that's like the work of step six, right? And step seven. And um, I, I was taught um, a great way of working step six and step seven, which really, it came from Don C. And I love it. I think it's just phenomenal. Um, he's amazing, by the way. If, if you haven't heard him and you haven't listened to him, he is just... It's probably one of my favorite, favorite OA people. Um, so basically with step six um, is almost like a blueprint for how am I going to live if I want my character defects to be removed, right? Hmm. And I think about it, it's very similar to, I wanted the relief from the obsession of food. So I needed a food plan, right? I needed a food plan and I was going to eat in agreement with the food plan. Um, and then God would be in charge of removing the obsession for food, right? It would remove the desire as I maintain my abstinence and work through the steps, right? So it's very similar to my step six and seven work. I, mm -hmm. I kind of come up with a way that with my sponsor, right? With sponsees and sponsors, we work this together. How is this defect showing up in your life? Be very, very, very specific. For me, you know, I had a huge character defect um, was, um, um, it, you know, it was all fear-based, but it was uh, like this huge people-pleasing thing, saying yes mm -hmm. to things that I had no business saying yes to. And it was all because I liked the accolades. I was addicted to the, to the strokes I got. Mm -hmm. It made me feel really good. And I found myself constantly taking on things that I had no business taking on, right? And what would happen is it happened a lot at work. And so I would take on all these things at work that I had way too much for me to manage and control. And then my family would get the crap because I was spending so much time doing all this extra stuff for work that I wasn't getting paid extra for, by the way, but I was just doing it because I loved the, the, the glory. And then I would come home and I would be mean, right? And I would be rotten and... Um, and, uh, and resentful and nasty. And what I found out, yeah, I need, so, so I came up with a behavior plan, right? Along with my sponsor, what is it going to look like if I'm not doing that anymore? Mm 
So what is it going to look like? It's going to look like when my boss asks me to do something that's outside of my job description, that's optional. I'm going to say as hard as it is, could you put that in writing and I'll get back to you? Because I needed to see on paper what it was going to entail before I just said yes. And then part of my decision making was I had to take it to prayer. I had to ask God, is it useful? Is this new task that I'm being taken on, is it going to benefit other people or is it only about my ego? Is it because I like a title associated with it? One of which was the title was, um, I was on the school leadership team. Oh my God, if ever there was a title that just like got me excited. But the task was awful. It actually took me out of my classroom it meant doing things. It was terrible. So I had to take, first of all, I had to put it in writing, what it entail. And, and I had been on this school leadership team and I needed it redefined in writing and came to that conclusion that I needed my boss. Could you tell me exactly what this job is going to entail again this year? Because I think, I think I need to look at it. And that was humiliating. There was a level of humility to say, yeah, I've been doing this job and I don't even know what it is. Right. Um, and then I had to, I had to take it to prayer. I had to run it by my sponsor because she's a good indicator to say to me, you take on way too much. You, you do too much. And I had to run it by my husband and my kids because it was impacting them. And, um, and when I did that, my husband goes, you getting paid more for that? And I was like, no. He goes, forget it then. And I was like, uh, you know, and I, and I brought it by my sponsor and my sponsor said, is it helping anybody? Is it like really beneficial? And I was like, no, but, but we get up at all the faculty meetings and everybody, everybody knows that I'm on the school leadership team and what are they gonna think when I have to get off of it? Yeah, that was me, right? So that, I know this is a really long answer to a character yeah. defect, but that's sort of how I got through that character defect. Messy, messy. I haven't done that perfectly. I've actually said yes to things and then had to dial back down and ask again to have it in writing and do that same thing over again. And recently, though, that defect had almost been removed because my boss asked me to do something. This was before COVID. And I said, no. And she, mm. she was like, she went, what? And I said, yeah, I said, no, I don't, it doesn't sound like something that would be, that would work for my schedule. And I don't even know where that came from. That was God doing for mm -hmm. me, doing that, which I could not do on my own. So keep working it. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all. And thank you so much, Melissa, for this question and answers and your share and everything. Thank you, uh, thank you all for coming today. In closing, as always, responsibility pledge states. Always to extend the hand and heart of OA to all who share my compulsion. For this, I am responsible. Thank you all so much for joining us here today. After a moment of silence, please join us in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. If you work it, so work it, you're worth it. Yay! Thank you 